This is the EWN Podcast Network. Everybody wants to win. It's how we define success in life. Michelle Nagel explores resilience, teaches you happiness hacks, and provides tools for building positive relationships, all of which are essential for winning at the game of life. Join us to learn how to roar. Hi, this is Michelle Nagel. Welcome to Roar to Win. Our episode today is really going to be a lot of fun. I have as my guest, Terry Monjet. Did I do that right? Monjet. There, Monjet. Terry Monjet is a certified chem field methodology specialist. She's also a traumatic brain injury survivor and has personal experience of the journey to recovery. As a Reiki master and light worker, she understands the blockage of energy that keeps us from enjoying our best life. Terry has over 20 years in the corporate world at the Walt Disney Company and now uses all her skills to help others. By partnering with her horses and utilizing Jack Canfield's success principles, she provides the combination needed to unlock your potential, identifies the insights you need to increase your results, increase your amount of free time, and have more balance and fun at work and at home. Her programs help you remember it's not just the destination, but it's the journey itself. And she helps you take your business career and relationships from it's okay to it's freaking awesome. So welcome, Terry. Hi. Hi, Michelle. Very nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I really think that there's going to be some exciting things that you're going to be able to tell our listeners today. So um, you worked for the Walt Disney Company. How did you end up at the top? Um... Uh, interesting, uh, interesting journey to the, the top of the castle, so to speak. Uh, I was a uh, litigation assistant for the head of the litigation department at a major New York law firm. And one of his major clients was the Walt Disney Company. So he got brought in uh, when things were at that, you know, at their worst. And um, what had happened was they decided that they were going to move their general counsel to a different position, and they offered that position to my boss. So we were in New York, and Disney corporate is in California. He asked me at the time, he said, are you part of my package? And I probably hesitated just a few seconds and said, yes, of course. And he said, well, don't you need to check with your boyfriend at the time or your family? I said, well, I will check with them, but it's a yes. And uh, I next found myself sitting at Newark Airport with a one-way ticket to California. They had packed up my belongings, put my car on a flatbed truck, and I went out to California all by myself. And um, so he was the general counsel, and after... You know, a few years of of being there, he ended up with the title of uh, Senior Executive Vice President and Chief of Corporate Operations. Wow. So we pretty much ran the place. Um, My office was next door to Michael Eisner's office, who was the chairman of the board at the time and the CEO. And um, yeah, it was uh, quite quite the experience of ending up at the top of the castle. Well, that's pretty wonderful. Amazing too. So, um, and well, they say that you know Disney is like a magical place to be. So, why did you leave? <laughs> uh, it is a magical place to be. You never really know what's going to happen. Um, what uh, 
what transpired for me was uh, my my boss, who I had been with for more than 13 years, he had decided that since he was never going to get the president's title, uh, he was done and he was going to go back to work at a uh, at a law firm. And I said, no, I'm I'm not going back to sitting in the hallway and, you know, working for as many lawyers as they can hand me. So I stayed for another probably year and a half with the um, uh, an incoming person. When we bought ABC, we had a lot of, of influx of, of new talent. And I was working for the deputy general counsel and uh, stayed with him for about a year and a half. And I was sitting at my desk one day and just kind of sat there and said, you know, they could double my salary. And... I don't, I, I'm not supposed to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's when I knew it was, it was time to leave. So it was just not really an incident, but it was just an internal knowing that it was time to move on. It was an internal knowing. And it was also, um, I had, uh, I had thrown my hat in the ring to uh, be interviewed for the assistant job for the new president of the company, Bob Iger, who is now the current CEO. and. I did not get that job, mm-hmm. and I am so grateful that I did not get that job. Okay. Because if I had, I would still be there with him in California, and I would not be doing what I'm doing now on a ranch in Colorado. So you kind of feel like, um, even though that was what you your your intention was was to get that job, because otherwise you wouldn't have applied for it. You didn't get what you thought you wanted, and it turned out to be a blessing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it and it's it's as as I'm sure you well know, and your listeners know, it's your response to what happens. That gives you the outcome you want, I could have been miserable and stayed and oh my gosh, and this is terrible. And I didn't get the job and nobody loves me and I'm not good enough. Or I could say, there's something better out there for me and I need to go. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I went and ended up being a uh, Massage therapist for a few years. Uh, I was the um, president of the uh, California chapter for the American Massage Therapy Association for a few years. And I also knew that wasn't quite it either. So uh, when I had the opportunity to get into the Equine Gestalt coaching program and partner with the horses, then it was like, "Ah, okay, fine. So it was a little, you know, roundabout journey, but just you have to be open to the possibilities and and not you know it, it depends on what your response is so you can you can change everything with your with changing your response so how did you go from um corporate life in a large corporation in the middle of downtown southern california to horses um I had, uh, let's see, I did not grow up with horses. Uh, I, uh, I, I was, grew up in Queens, New York, not exactly the horse capital of the world. <laughs> so I got my first horse when I was 49. Uh, my husband and I uh, adopted a second horse. And I was at a, uh, a, a Western horse show uh, weekend event, and I saw on the program that this woman was going to be talking about horses and energy chakras. Uh-huh. And as a massage therapist, I knew the energy chakras, but at a Western horse show, 
you know, yeehaw cowboy, I'm thinking, oh my God, I have to go hear her. So I watched her demonstration. I was fascinated. And then I found her um, at her, at her vendor booth later on that day. And she said, you know, you might be interested. I'm starting a new, a new program and we're going to be on a, uh, you know, a, a webinar uh, next week. And I invite you to come and I was on the phone webinar and it was a two year program learning how to coach with horses. I got off the program and I said to my husband, I said, it's a, you know, two years I'm going, we, I was still in California. He said, I'm going to have to go out to Colorado for a couple of weekends to do, you know, intensive training. And I really need to do this. And he was incredibly supportive and said, Oh, okay. that that sounds interesting. He said, what is it? And I said, I have no idea, <laughs> but I know I have to do this. Okay. And um, I was a member of the first graduating class for the Gestalt coaching program. Wonderful. That's, yeah. that's really impressive. Um, I've run into several people who do what you do over the years. And so to have you be one of the first ones, that's pretty cool. So um, the acronym for this podcast is, is ROAR, which is Resilience, Optimism, Accountability, and Resourcefulness. And you kind of um, gravitated toward the resilience part. So can you tell us a bit about your first experience with when you really needed resilience? When I really needed resilience was while I was still working with Disney um, I was a functioning alcoholic. I did not drink at all during the day, but drank when I came home. And uh, my mother died of complications of alcoholism. And it started for me as a very high introvert uh, in social situations. I found that I, I you know, I needed as I told myself, a couple of shots of vodka before I even went out into a social setting. Mm -hmm. And because your, of the it courage, it was my courage. It was my, you know, and because of the genetic factor and, you know, other complications, it was just, it's just what I did every night when I got home. And I got to the point where I realized that I either have to stop this or I'm going to lose my marriage. Mm -hmm. And I have been 24 years sober now. Wonderful. And it was, it was, you know, I did do uh, AA for a month or two and found that that was not the program for me. So I pretty much did it cold turkey. I don't recommend that for everyone. Um, but if you find yourself in a situation where, you know, the AA group setting is not for you, that's okay. You can still do it. You can still do it. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that was that was my my first uh, um, opportunity for resilience. Um, my second opportunity for resilience was um, nine years ago, almost ten. Uh, I had a traumatic brain injury, and I was in ICU for three weeks in a coma. Uh, I was in a rehab hospital for another four weeks. I was in a transitional living center for another four weeks. And when I got home, I could have, you know, sat on the couch, poor pitiful me, my brain is broken, uh, watching reruns of The Big Bang Theory, which is not terrible, if I must say so. <laughs> um, 
my bias. Yes, my, yeah. Uh, or I could change my response to the event, which was my traumatic brain injury, and say, okay, what do I do now? You know, I, I, my brain isn't going to function the way it used to, so, you know, high-level administrative assistant, probably not going to work. The, the multitasking just does not work. Mm-hmm. So um, what I did was uh, I was able to finish my Gestalt coaching program and graduate and uh, spoke with my husband and said, you know, the type of coaching work that I'm doing is not going to work well at a boarding facility. So we kind of need our own facility for the horses, which we could not have had afforded at the time in California. He worked from home, so it didn't matter where home was. So we sold the California house, bought a six acre ranch in Colorado, moved everybody, including the horses, acquired two more horses and a mini donkey. And uh, I started a new business. So that's wonderful. Thank you. So, um, you you had this it as i'm listening to you talk about you could just sit on the couch and just watch programs that reminds me of you know you must have really connected really well with forrest willett who oh uh, forrest is a good friend yes <laughs> yes who had a traumatic brain injury and you know moved on from that also and has has wow made an amazing life for himself so um so your equine facilitated transition coach how did you um you have explained you've explained the path of uh, being drawn to that and knew that you had to do it. Were you um, in the process? I'm trying to figure out if I understood this correctly. Were you in the process of completing your training at the time that you received the brain injury? Yeah, I was about I was a little more than halfway through the program when I when I uh, had my brain injury. Had my brain injury in September of 2009. And I graduated from the program in January 2011. Okay. So I was, I was pretty much halfway through. Uh-huh. And um, my, one of my, my first weekend uh, classes, I did not volunteer to actively coach or do anything. And I was uh, invited to lunch with, uh, with Melissa Pierce, who's the, the founder of the program. And I felt, I was like, okay, she doesn't ask students to lunch. It's kind of like going to the principal's office, what's going on. <laughs> and she and, and two of her assistants kind of, they didn't really confront me, but they gently inquired <laughs> as to why I was not stepping up. And I said, no, no, you know, is it the brain injury? Do you need to rest? Are you, are you okay? I said, no, everything's fine. I'm just taking it all in. I'm I'm, you know, processing things and I'm, I'm learning from watching. And they said, yes, but why aren't you stepping up? And I had to voice, give voice to the thought or to the knowledge that I, I, I said to them, I said, because if I don't get in the ring with, if I don't get in the round pen with the horse and a client, I won't find out that I can't do this anymore. Ah, okay. And they said, aha, okay, there you go. And, you know, one of Jack's principles is feel the fear and, and do it anyway. So that afternoon I got in and what I had found out is that since my brain injury, thank you very much, because of the different neuropathways that had to be rewired, mm-hmm. I am better intuitively 
in connecting with the horses and the clients than I was before I had the injury. So it kind of ends up like that was a blessing too. Exactly. So, exactly. so, so far you've told us of two horrific experiences that you've had in your life that you term as blessings. I don't think that's the normal way of looking at things. So um, I think that's pretty wonderful. So um, how, how did you embrace the resilience as you recovered from the traumatic brain injury? That's a long period of time that you were either in the ICU or in the recovery. So um, what, how were you able to find resilience? Actually, for the, for the ICU portion of it, the three weeks that I was in ICU, I have no memory of that at all, mm-hmm. uh, which is probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an intracranial pressure monitor uh, embedded in my head, and they were monitoring the uh, intracranial pressure. If it had gone up too high, I would have had to have surgery, but luckily I did not. Um, and so so that, that three weeks does not exist for me. When I got to the rehab hospital, it was part of it was, was the, the brain processing. And I didn't understand how bad I had been injured. So like the first night in the rehab hospital, I got up to go to the bathroom, not knowing that I was supposed to call someone to go with me because I'm thinking, okay, I'm, you know, 50 some odd years old and I don't need help to go to the bathroom, which uh, apparently I did. Mm -hmm. But when I got out of bed, an alarm went off because that's an alert the nursing staff so what I had, what I said, what I, first thing I did was figure out how to turn the alarm off. <laughs> okay. And I went to the bathroom and when I came out, the nurse was standing there glowering at me and she was like, you're not supposed to do that. And he's like, do what? It was making noise. I didn't want to wake anybody. Um, but what I, what I realized is like, as I, I learned of my somewhat limitations in processing and doing things instead of saying oh my god i'll never be able to do this again this is you know i'm broken i i you know i'm i'm just i'm useless when something didn't go right i said to myself huh that was different how can i make it work mm-hmm. and i gave myself permission to figure out how i could make it work you know, and I, and I worked, I, I do that with my clients. I never tell my client, no, you can't do that. Uh-huh. I, All right, let's figure out how. Let's figure out how works for you. Mm-hmm. Might not work that way for me. May not work for, that way for Michelle. As a client, you know, one of my clients, how, how is it going to work for you? Uh-huh. And that's okay. You know, it may not be the same way you used to do it. That's okay. Uh-huh. So with the, uh, with the rewiring of the brain, which, I mean, we are, we are finding more and more every day how amazing um, an organ, if you want to call it that, because it's so much more, the brain is, um, you, it, it rewires itself as, as you need. If you choose not to need, then it's not going to rewire itself. But if you need to be able to do things, then your brain is going to work with you to figure out, you know, how, how that could work. And you used one of my favorite words, which is choice, choose. Mm -hmm. 
that's one of the most powerful gifts that we have as human beings is the the power to make a choice and everything we do is a choice exactly so, yeah so that's that's really wonderful um i i i have such a strong feeling about choices that people make when they say that oh i had no choice or i couldn't help it or um you know basically shunting that responsibility off to somebody else that mm -hmm. that for me is a trigger <laughs> it's like ah, you had a choice you made that. no matter exactly and no matter what the situation you have a choice mm -hmm. yeah and yeah. it's like okay either you know and, and I, I don't know if you're aware of if you've seen jack canfield use this uh, analogy of you know you're standing there and someone has a gun to the head of your favorite child, even though all of them are your favorite child, but in this case, we'll go and pick one. <laughs> and you have a choice. Either they're going to kill the kid or they're going to kill you. Well, mm -hmm. I had no choice. You have a choice. Right. It's always a choice. Mm -hmm. It may not be great choices, but you always have a choice. Yeah, exactly. And those not great choices that we have to make, they they may be painful, but we all have this this internal knowing of what is the right choice. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If you know, if we just trusted, you know, especially as women, if we we trusted our intuition more than we allow ourselves to do, mm -hmm. um, gosh, so many of us would be so much better off. Yes. And just you know, trust your intuition. And if if it didn't feel right, there's a reason it didn't feel right. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And we have a, such a tendency to be swayed by other people's opinions. Right. And exactly. And and it's it's an, another, you know, one of my, you know, I'm, I, as I use the, the success principles in my coaching, one of one of Jack's uh, one of the success principles is um what you think of me is none of my business. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And if you don't if you don't like me, that's really too bad cuz I'm pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. And and we just, I, I don't know, that's, I think it's one of the hardest things for us to get into the place where we like ourselves well enough and we mm -hmm. have a good enough relationship with the universe that it doesn't really matter what right. other people think of you. So right. um, it is, it's really a challenging thing for people to learn, but when they learn it, it's, it's so much more freedom. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I I like the opportunities where you know if I'm with someone and they say, well, why well, can't I can't do that? You know, you know what if you know what what are they going to think of me? And it's like I'm curious about that. Why does that matter to you? Mm -hmm. Yes. What you know? The only thing that matters that the only thing that should matter to you is what you think of you. Yeah. And what anyone else thinks of you is is yeah. So okay, that's right. Yeah. Good. Welcome to their opinion. Mm -hmm. And as yes. long as, as you think you're, you know, and what, what matters is what you think of you. Um, so, yeah, when, when things didn't quite go right for me, when I was getting through the rehab and the processing, and it was like, it, it didn't matter. It was, what, what did I think? Huh, that was different. What else can I do? That's an interesting response. Um, I think if we just adopted that when we had <laughs> something happens, just go, oh, that's different. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
great place to be. So, okay, we're going to take a small break and then we're going to come back and um, discover more about what Terry does and how that can work and how we can um, also make some of the shifts that we need to make in ourselves so that we can be more resilient, optimistic, accountable, or resourceful. And we'll be back in a minute. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Welcome back. This is Michelle Nagel. I am so glad that you've come back. We're interviewing um, Terry Mongette, and she's a certified Canfield methodology specialist who also works with horses. And that's what we're going to be talking now about. Um, so, Terry, you have a coaching program where you work with people and horses. Can you tell us about that, please? Uh, yeah. What I, what I do here at the ranch is. Um, I have a couple different programs, uh, three months, six months, nine months, 12 months. It depends on what you need and how long you need it. And my clients come out uh, twice a month, four, three, six, nine, 12 months. And for about an hour and a half, we, uh, we, we work through the different success principles. What I do originally or, or to begin with is, is discuss with my client what it is they need help with, what they want to accomplish, what their goals are. I then put together a client-specific success principle for them because there are 67 success principles and obviously we don't use all 67 all the time. But I will design a program specifically for each client. They come out, we work on the success principles and also uh, a, a typical session is in my arena with two or three horses at liberty, which means they have no halters on, no lead ropes. They interact with us either when I need them to or when the client needs them to. Uh, the horses are not specially trained. I can do this with anyone's horses. And, uh, you know, a, a typical session, uh, I was working with a... Um, uh, a client who had just gotten a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis and it was impacting her right rather significantly. So I had her in the round pen with one of the horses and I just wanted to see how her balance was. So I said, Joe, just walk around the round pen and I want to see how you're doing today and see whether or not we need your, your cane with you or if we just need to do a seated session. So she walked around and they got to a muddy area. The horse walked with her, slowed down and put his head down so that she could grab onto his mane and walk through the mud. 
And I asked her, I said, you know, what was that? And she said, oh, he was really taking care of me. He wanted to make sure that uh, I didn't fall. I said, okay, well, keep walking. So before they walked around a little bit, before they got to the mud, uh, the horse stepped in front of her and stopped her. I said, is this the same thing? Is he, is he taking care of you? She said, no, this is definitely different. He's stopping me from moving forward. And I said, okay. So what are you telling yourself that's top, that is stopping you from moving past this diagnosis? And she stood there and got teary and said, that's exactly what I'm doing. I said, this is not the end. It will be different, sure. But this is not the end. So are you going to let it stop you now? She said, no. I said, I, you know, once she believed that she wasn't going to let it stop her now, she pushed the horse out of the way and kept walking. Cool. So I never know what the horses are going to do, but whatever they do, they do it for that client-specific reason. And that's where my training comes in. So the horses are specifically very intuitive when, when they're working with the clients? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you have like specific horses that you use for specific success principles or specific clients? Um, I do not. I do not. I, uh, I, I usually, um, uh, well, one of the things that happens is, is I may have a success principle that we're working on, but because of what the client is doing and, and what the horse is doing, it may be a point in time where I just say, okay, we're going to put this success principle aside right now because you're having some issues. You know, obviously something else is bothering you what's coming up. And it may be that, you know, she had a, a fight with her significant other or something. And I said, okay, do you want to explore that today? Mm -hmm. So I take it where she needs to go because the success principle isn't going to work if she's focused on something else that's, that's impacting her life. Right. And that's the, that's the gestalt part of it. Gestalt mm -hmm. is very fluid. And, and, you know, if we need to make a left turn, we're going to make a left turn. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, with the success principles, it organically works into the session uh, amazingly, um, which, you know, always, I shouldn't say always astounds, astounds me, but I'm always pretty darn happy when, when something is like, okay, I couldn't have scripted that one. Um, for instance, I was working with a couple and they were, um, they were having a, they must've had a heated discussion on the car on the way over to the ranch. And he was trying to not get really angry or cry. She was sitting across from him with her legs crossed and her arms crossed. And for me, this was a perfect, um, E plus R equals O, the event plus your response gives you your outcome, which is actually the first success principle. This was a familiar outcome for them. And I was trying to decide whether I was going to focus on his response to change or her response to change. When Bodhi, my horse, comes walking through in between them, grabs her by the shoelaces and shakes her foot and drops it and walks off. And it just, I mean, it looked like she just woke up and she just sat up and uncrossed her arms and legs. And I said, okay, so what just happened there? And she said, well, whenever he gets this way, angry and, and agitated, this is my go-to response. I curl up, but I'm listening to him and I'm paying attention. 
So it was a perfect opportunity for me to say, do you see that when you're closed up like that, from his perspective, you're not paying attention to him and you're not listening to what he needs to say. And she said, I never realized that before. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, so let's change your response. So she sat there and she was open and her arms were open and she listened to him and he brought it down a notch without me having to ask him. And they were able to discuss what had happened in the car. So it's just change your response. You get a different outcome. Yeah. And we have habituated responses. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I mean, I could not have, I could not have trained the horse to do that. Mm -hmm. He, he just, he just did. So, and that's, that's the fun part of, of what I do is I, I never know what the horses are going to do. And it's a blessed opportunity for me to, to see, you know, from a success principle, um, you know, where, where can I take this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, um, I'm always intrigued by the intuition of animals. We had a guest a couple of weeks ago um, named Val Hart, who she works with animals in general, just people's animals. And um, she's called the uh, real life Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> and, and so she's, uh, that her podcast was all about the intuition that the animals have. Um, horses are large animals and they often frighten people because they are so big and so heavy. Um, but they're, they're very, very intelligent, intelligent animals. And um, my dad had a horse named Rex that was a, um, uh, I guess they called him off of the Nevada um, rangeland. So he was a Mustang. And uh, his, <laughs> he said he was the smartest animal in the entire ranch, including humans. The horse is smarter than anybody <laughs> else there. And um, his, his famous thing to do was to shy. And most horses, when they shy, they just kind of step to one side. But Rex would leap off the ground with all four feet and move two feet before he put them back down again. So that was his version of shying. And... Uh, people didn't know that when they'd climb on his back, he first thing he would do is he would shy and he would be standing two feet away and the people would be sitting on the ground. <laughs> so, um, but they are, it's really wonderful to see how you're working um, with the horses to help them so that their um, instinctive and natural gift can be used to help people. Um, I really appreciate the the story of the relationship, how the relationship changed. Because what the woman had done is she had closed everything off, that closed mm -hmm. off any access to her heart. It's it's gone exactly, exactly. And we're able to sense that. We can tell through body language. Um, I know a woman who's the world's foremost authority in body language, and. Um, I was just sitting. I never interacted with her at all, except to look up at her and take notes. That's the only interaction I had with her. And then I met her later in the back of the room, and she just turned around and looked at me, and I, I had just said, hi, my name is, and, and she just said, girl, you are so broken. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, how did she know that? Because I had just had probably the most significant trauma of my life happen. Um, so how do you select your horses? The horses I have now uh, just came to me. Um, I, I, I don't specifically go out and look for special horses. 
uh, let's see, my uh, my mare is the first horse I got when I was when I was forty nine. She's still with me. She's uh, she's twenty two now, and Bodie is still with me. He's twenty seven. Those were the two horses that came with us from California. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was here, um, a friend of a friend uh, was continuing her shamanic journey mm-hmm. and was going to be moving to Ecuador and wanted, uh, had heard about what I do with the horses. And she asked if I would, um, if I would give a home to her current, her horse, who's a Missouri Foxtrotter. We, that's, that's Kai. We still have Kai. And then just this past November, um, for the last year, I've had on my vision board uh, a picture of a gypsy banner, which mm-hmm. is a type of horse. And I had two people um, approach me, say, you know, have you been on, you know, the whatever Facebook group? And I said, no. And they said, well, someone's looking to rehome a, a, a gypsy banner and they're right here in Boulder, Colorado. So you may want to jump on that. So we just got Shiloh in November, and he's uh, he's only five, so um, he has not uh, experienced client work yet. But I'm I know he's going to be amazing at it. So I don't really go looking for them; they kind of find me, uh-huh. which is which is perfect. Um, and like I said, I can use anyone's horses if I need to. I did a workshop up at the um, Easter Seals camp up in Empire in Colorado. And I used, I used two of their horses. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, the horses are thrilled that they get to work with us on this level. Um, they uh, energetically, they, they are at a higher vibration than we are. And they're saying, Oh, finally, you guys are catching up to us. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, they, and there, there are some horses that have just, been so horribly abused that they choose not to and uh, you know you honor you honor that so um you know it's it's rare that I've come across a horse that does not want to do this work because it's like oh my gosh I get to work with humans and not have to carry you on my back for eight hours and you know for no reason yeah it just there's so much more that they can do than plow our fields and pull our wagons and carry us Mm-hmm. So they 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 carry us, and I do occasionally put the horse put someone on the horse, um, usually bareback when when they need some like serious emotional support. Uh huh. So, um, oh, I had a really brilliant question there. Um, <laughs> I I was thinking that your youngest horse is probably still uh, full of mischief. He is. He is. We've we've only, as I said, we've only had him since November. So it was kind of like uh, we just got him, and we've had snow and cold since then. So he's. Um, I call him a little tank because he's still kind of figuring out how big his energy is. Uh-huh. And he will be in a position to watch another horse work, and once they they see it once, they're just like, oh, I get it. I know what we're supposed to do. No problem. Uh-huh. So it's not like they have to be trained. Right. So I'm sure I will be using him for, you know, whatever, whatever reasons. But, you know, there could be, could be a client who, uh, who has some boundary issues and just is overwhelmed with everything and just can't say, you know, 
gosh, I'd love to help you with the cookie drive next weekend, but I'm booked. So um, I'm sorry I can't, but, you know, please ask me for the next event instead of saying, yes, 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 of course I will. Of course I will. So if they've got boundary issues, he's perfect because he's up all in your face. So let's teach you how to say no to an 1100 pound animal Mm -hmm. without hurting their feelings (laughs) Yes, and getting you your space. And, you know, once, once you, you, you get that, it's like, okay, now, you know, can you say that to the president of the pre-TA? Gosh, you know, I would love to help you, but it's just not going to work in my schedule this weekend. Mm-hmm. That's I okay. I'll, I think I'll send my daughter to you. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So how do you communicate with your horses? Um... I am uh, I am an animal communicator, so I do uh, animal communication. However, I don't. When we're working with clients, it's not like I I have a you know I don't call out to someone and say, okay, I need you to do this. Mm-hmm. But because of of my intuitive abilities, whatever the horse is doing, I know it's something that the client needs. Right. So it's up to me to figure it out, you know, what it is they're trying, what it is they're trying to do. And I've had colleagues watch me work. And afterwards, they would say to me, you know, how did you know that? And I basically want to say to them, how did you not? <laughs> yeah. But I don't. But <laughs> I don't. It's just like, oh, it's just automatic. <laughs> you know, I just, I just did. You know, so it's, it's, is it a gift? Yes. And, and I, I utilize it that way, but, um, yeah, I, I would know, you know, if I have a client that has, that's having a really heavy emotional situation and one of my, one of my horses is like, is standoffish or not, not, it's up to them. They interact with us when they want to. Uh huh. So I know. You know, if someone is uh, is standing off and not paying attention or walking away from us, I need to figure out, is it part of what the client is going through? Is this not really, is the emotional issue abandonment? Because Uh that's the horse that just abandoned us. Uh And that's the horse we need to work with. Okay, interesting. So, yeah, it just, it depends on the situation. So how do you get the clients to understand what the horse is doing? Um, I'm the interpreter. Okay. So they don't need to, I mean, it may be a point where I'll just say, you know, gosh, why, why do you, why do you think, yeah, why do you think he did that? Um, it was, uh, I was working with a a, a woman, um, who was a, uh, a new stepmom and she had to get her kids um, her stepkids out to a doctor's appointment or something and they didn't pay attention to her and they ignored her. And so I had her in the round pen with three horses and I said, okay, get the horses moving in the same direction. She's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you need to get them moving in the same direction. So she got one of them moving, one of them ignored her. And then my mini donkey, the burrito, uh, he was stuck at her hip. And I said, okay, what's the dynamic here? She said, well, that's my son. He's the one that usually does what I ask him to. The other one is my teenage daughter that ignores me completely. And the donkey is, is my, my, the youngest, 
who I can't even go to the bathroom alone without her, you know, knocking at the door. And I said, okay, so you still need to get them all moving in the same direction. So what she did is she spent most of her time with the daughter, the horse that was the daughter, trying to get the daughter to move. And at one point she said, look at your brother. He does what I ask him to do as soon as I ask him. So I, I put her in timeout and I said, okay, do you say that to your daughter? She said, well, yeah, sometimes. I said, okay, first of all, no teenage girl ever wants to be compared to their brother, ever. Right. I said, and look who you're paying most of the attention to. What about your son who's just asking you to do everything you wanted to? She's like, oh, I do this all the time. Mm -hmm. I said, so what would happen if you change your response and change the dynamic? So she went over and she walked with the horse that was her son. The little one came with her, of course, and the teenage girl was like, huh, all right, everybody's going. And she's like, well, you know, we'll go to the doctor and then maybe we'll stop at the park or whatever we're doing. And the teenage girl finally joined them. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay. So she said, all right, I have learned here what not to do, mm -hmm. you know, how I can change my response to the daughter. And she said, you know, I heard from her like a week or two later and she's like, Oh my God, the dynamic is so different. She said, because I changed me. Right. And that's the only thing that we can change. We can't change. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So how did you discover that you had this kind of gift? Um, the, uh, just from, from when I, from being in the, the Equine Gestalt program, I found that I, I was pretty much one of the first who engaged with the horses most quickly. Mm -hmm. um, everyone else pretty much did one-on-one -on -one coaching with the client and didn't really pay attention to the horse. Mm -hmm. And if it was not me and we were all standing around watching, because that's how we have the, the, the sessions would go, I would stand there saying, why are you not looking at the horse? Look at the horse. Look what he's doing. Mm -hmm. He's doing that for a reason. Stop coaching. Look what the horse is doing. <laughs> uh -huh. um, so it was, it was during the program that I realized that no matter what they are doing, it's for a reason. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I guess that was, that was the first time that I, um, yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, pretty much um, I was coaching a, a client or someone else. Was I coaching the client? I was coaching the client and no, someone else. I'm sorry. Someone else was coaching the client. I was watching and I was mentoring them and she was going back and forth with the client and the horse just kept coming up and licking the client's left hand. And the client was talking about, how she's always the caregiver and she's got so much to do and she's, you know, just overwhelmed and, and she has to take care of everyone. And the horse kept licking the client's left hand. So I stopped the coach and I said, so why are you not paying attention to what the horse is doing? She said, well, we just had lunch. I just figured she had mustard on her hand or something. And I said, watch what the horse is doing. He's licking her left hand. We give with our right. She is a giver. She gives all the time. He's opening up the chakras on her left hand. 
What is she not receiving? Mm -hmm. What is she not allowing herself to receive? And the client started tearing up and she says, I never, I never take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's your coaching. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's pretty amazing. Horses don't normally walk around licking people. So no, no, exactly. And that's why it's like, "Ah, why do you not see this? Yeah, that's, so, but that, that I, I try a, not to explode. I just say so. Yeah, that would be a definite trigger if you know anything about horses. You know, they don't do that. So exactly, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it is. It is a gift. I'm I'm blessed with it. I I love. I love what I do with the horses. From a, I never know what's going to happen, and you know, I I uh, I do work with uh, with most people from in state, but I also um, I do some phone coaching. So if people can't come to the ranch, and what I also like to do is um, I do weekend weekend VIP. So it would be you know just you for the entire weekend if you want to come in and and figure out where you're supposed to be in your life. Wow, that's pretty wonderful. So um, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, people get a hold of me at uh, either um, beginagainranch.com uh, or terry at beginagainranch.com. Mm-hmm. And um, phone number is 720-467-4143. And if you're just interested in finding out if this is might be right for you, uh, what I offer is a uh, mini session. It's a 30-minute horse experience. So we do a little mini coaching session and you actually get to work with a horse and you can see what it's all about because most people are curious, but uh, you know, need to need a little hands-on before they make a decision that this is the right way to go. Right. So, uh, Terry, what message would you like to leave our listeners? Um, what I would, what I would say is, um, it's, uh, no matter what you're going through or what you've been through, it's always your choice to close your eyes take a deep breath and begin again. Wow, that's beautiful. So thank you so much. And I really appreciate that you came to have this conversation with us today. I think that there's a lot of people out there who could, wow, learn so much from the horses and and horses are just really amazing people in their own right. So Thank you. Exactly. So much. <laughs> Thank you so much for the opportunity to, to share the wisdom of the herd with your with your listeners. Okay. Thanks, Terry. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today as we learned happiness hacks, relationship tools, how to refuel our resilience batteries and perfect our roar. Resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness. Roar to win. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This is the EWN Podcast Network.